Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jacob Scrimshaw, the Discipleship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. We are so glad that you've joined us today as we continue our series, Finish Strong. Today you'll hear from Pastor Nick as he teaches us from Joshua chapter 7 and 8. Now here's Pastor Nick. Good morning. Thank you all for being here today. It's great to see you. Uh, I'm looking forward to continuing this series that we've been in called Finish Strong, looking at the book of Joshua. And today we're going to land in a fantastic chapter. And I don't want to get too far into that without summarizing the one that we're kind of skipping over in order to get that. Because this connection point that they have to one another really only pales in comparison to the connections that they have to Jesus. And, And the fact that we can see Christ in this book. Um, it, it blows my mind, it continues to blow my mind, it ought to blow your mind that we can look back at the pages of the Old Testament and see Jesus clearly. I don't know about you, but I, I need to see Jesus clearly today. Um, I, I think I need to see Jesus clearly right now. Um, so out of this whole COVID season, thank you again, by the way, for jumping in with online registration again this week for the service and assigned socially distanced seating. We're really thankful for the ways that you guys have approached this and continue to approach this. One of the many, 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 many long list of things that we all had to not get to do, cancel, not get to experience in 2020 the way that we had in all the other previous years um, for me was going to Rolling Hills Kids Camp and chaperoning about 100 kids from all three of our campuses going to Kentucky to sleepaway camp and having this fantastic experience. The last time that I was at a Rolling Hills Kids Camp, I was seated around a swarm of fourth grade boys, um, and I sat next to this kid named Riggins. Now, Riggins is a cool kid. He goes to the Franklin campus. I've known his parents for a long time, and his aunt attends our campus, and she's in our community group, and we're all the time laughing at Riggins' stories. Well, so Riggins sits down, and he takes a sip out of his drink, and he goes, Oh, and I said, well, well, Riggins, what's that? And he said, this is good. And I said, well, well, what is it? And he said, this is the cherry Coke. And I said, I said, Riggins, have you never had cherry Coke before? He goes, Pastor Nick, I've never had any Coke before. (laughs) And I immediately started a text chain with his parents and Aunt Sylvia to say, hey, Riggins is trying Coke at camp, you know, and it's a big deal. And Sylvia responded, she says, oh, yes, mom never lets them have sodas. But this week it's, you know, camp, it's okay. Just don't expect it when they get home last week. We hit this quote, and I told you, like right at the outset, as soon as I said this, that I was probably going to say this two weeks in a row. John Piper says this, the most powerful and painful acts of radical obedience. I can pause there for a second because it's funny that you couple powerful and painful because literally some of the more painful things we do in life lead to being more powerful in life. Working out, anybody? Like that's painful, but it does make you more powerful. It's not an accident that these two words are coupled together. The most powerful and painful acts acts of radical obedience. This is what any of us want to do as followers of Jesus Christ. We, we desire to live lives that are characterized by a level of not just baseline, like lowest common denominator obedience, but like radical next level obedience to this word, the most powerful and yet painful acts of radical obedience, beginning with, and we talked about it last week, we'll hit on it again this week, beginning with remorse for our sin, regret for the way that we stand before God, repentance and a desire to turn away from all that, the most powerful and painful acts of radical obedience, beginning with remorse from our sin, must be motivated, must be motivated by an awakened taste. Oh, Pastor Nick, that's good. Awakened taste. I ain't never had anything that tastes this good before. 
an awakened taste for the pleasure of God. We're going to zero in on Joshua chapter 10 today, but you don't get to Joshua chapter 10 without going into Joshua chapter 9. And we've started with the first chapter of the book of Joshua and kind of made our way through some of the big highlights of Israel after Moses was gone under the leadership of Joshua, taking the land that God had promised him. And you, you know the story of the battle of Jericho, and we hit that a couple of weeks ago. The idea that they marched around the city and they blew the trumpets and the walls came down and they took it. Well, we learned last week that there was a guy who went in and disobeyed God and took some of the things that belonged to God and kept them for himself. And so there was a pronouncement of judgment. And so that when they went to the next battle, the battle of Ai, a battle that they should have easily been able to win, they weren't able to do so on the front side because there was sin in the camp that they had to get rid of first. And so they had a setback before they could step forward and take the city. Well, that reputation followed them into the land of the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites had heard about the battle of Jericho and the Gibeonites had heard about the battle of Ai and they knew what Israel was capable of. And so they devised a plan. Hey, we need to, unless we're going to be next, we need to make a treaty with this people so that when they're taking all the lands around us, they actually work with us. And so they devised a plan and it was a sneaky plan. You can read about it all in Joshua chapter 9 where they literally dressed in rags like sojourners, paupers from a far, far, far distant land. And they came into the Israelite camp and they said, hey, we're not from around here. We're from really, really, really far away and we can prove it. All the bread that we have with us is stale and all the wine that we have with us is bitter. Like we just, we're from, you need to make a treaty with us, accept us as a foreigner. And scripture says that Israel tasted their provisions but didn't inquire of the Lord. They still hadn't learned that lesson to not seek the wisdom of God first. And so naturally they made a treaty with this sojourning far off distant land people to protect them. And then they find out that in fact, this was the next neighbor on the list that they were supposed to take. Why did you lie to us? They said, well, we knew that you guys were powerful. We thought that you would take our land. And so we wanted to give a treaty with you. And because Israel had sworn an oath, they were now bound to protect this group of people. And you read down to the end of it. Somebody should do a Bible study on this. I'm looking at you, Kelly. Like there was this whole deal where he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers. There's, There's something significant there. And so that's how they continue to live in the land of Israel and not get overtaken. And then you pop into chapter 10, and, and this is what happened next. It says, Now Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, like the reputation is preceding them, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. Okay, so those Gibeonites, they turned their back on us and they went and made a treaty with those people, and so this is what's going to happen. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. That's not how they approached the people of Israel. Wearing rags, touting stale bread, walking into the camp saying, hey, we're weak foreigners from another land. You need to be nice to us. When they were known as a royal city, a powerful city, a strong city, so Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Dibir, king of Eglon. Come up here and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, you can read all about them there, they moved up with all their troops and they took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. 
So the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. Hey, by the way, remember that treaty that we made together. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Then Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, he got these words in scripture, underline them, commit them to memory, know that this matters. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. None of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Machedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. And this is when it gets good. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. So the nation avenged itself on its enemies. Sun, stand still until we can finish what we've been called to do. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and it delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. So many different like nuggets of truth that you can take from this passage of scripture. And, and we kind of have to start with the most obvious one on the list that's in your notes this morning. That God is in complete control. That God is in complete and total control. He has always been in complete and total control. There's never been a day when he was not in total and complete control. God is in control. And he says to them in verse 8, hey guys, don't be afraid. I have given them into your hand. I'm going to accomplish this. God himself is going to do this. None of them are going to be able to withstand you. And I look at the problems that I face and the challenges that I walk through and the difficulties that I know that so many of you walk through. I turn on the news or my Twitter feed and I look at the state that we've been in, mostly because of COVID and definitely because of the election, hashtag 2020 and all the things. And I think we are up against some challenges, but God's still in control. That's... It's hard to say and hear in moments when, when we felt like something wasn't good, when we felt like something wasn't right. But somehow or another, we know that Scripture has always been true, that God is in control. He said, I have given them over to your hand. In verse 10, it's the Lord who caused them to be in confusion so that Israel could win. In verse 11, it was the Lord who threw large, giant hailstones down on them so that more of them died from the hailstones than died from the swords of the Israelites. And it was the Lord himself in response to the prayer that Joshua prayed that made the sun stand still until they could finish this battle. It was the Lord who did it because he's in complete control. He, he's got this. He, he's got this. Even when it seems he doesn't got this, he's, he's got this. The Lord is in complete control. And, and the other thing that we have to know and that we have to understand and that we have to place ourselves in the story and realize it was true about them and it's true about us, that God is for his people. 
God is for his people. It says there's never been a day like it in history, and there's never been a day since when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. That word fighting in Scripture is the original language Hebrew word lachkam, and it literally means to fight, to make war, to do battle, to engage, to wage war. But because Hebrew words, it's a vocabulary poor language, there's not as many of them as there are English words. They all have to do double duty in the world of translation. Lachkam doesn't just mean to make war. It means to eat or to use as food. That makes sense because this afternoon I'm going to bring it to some brisket and it's going to be tough. In a couple of weeks I'm going to devour some turkey. I'm coming for you and in a few months you better watch out Girl Scout cookies because it's on. Like battle has been raged. Like it makes sense. This is going to be devoured. When the Lord makes a war it's going to be taken care of and it does at my kitchen table too. The Lord is for his people. He's, He's for us. Romans 8.31 says, what then? What, what, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's this uh, another battle later on in the life of Israel in the book of 2 Kings. And, and Elisha, the prophet, looks at the people and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid is in Scripture a lot. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And what we don't understand, what's so hard for us to gather in this moment, particularly in our political climate, and we can like pause and isolate a segment of the message and talk about it for just a minute. There are people like, and we're just going to talk about believers in Jesus Christ, professing saints of the Lord right now who are living in this climate that we're living in. There's people far on this side of a political spectrum, and they know for sure that this is what is absolute best and most right, that it's for the good of all people in the country. And so they live on this distant line. And there's people, Christians. People who still buy into the same gospel and know and understand the same Jesus about as far from them as you can possibly get on a whole other part of the spectrum who would proclaim and who would be excited about the fact that God is doing something else, that this is for the good of all people. And when I read Romans chapter 8, I know for sure that, that, that God is after the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But what I have to remind myself all the time is that the good I want or the good I want, because I can bounce back and forth between each political, may not be the good God wants. And that, that, that my earthly definition of good, regardless of where it is, might be different than his definition of good. And the real prophetic moment, the, the real slap in, in the prophecy face comes to any of us who live so far on any one of those lines that the great God of this universe might be looking at us and saying, hey, you like your definition of good more than you like my definition of good. And that's a problem. It's okay, it can be fixed, but it's a problem. So, so we understand that God is for his people and, and that there's a good that he's about. I need to align my definition of good with what his definition of good is because he's ultimately in control, not me. He's ultimately in control, not we. He's in control, and he's for the good of his people and the good accomplishment of his purpose in our day and our generation. He's good no matter how big the enemy seems. No matter how big the enemy is, he's for us. Those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And so the story continues. It says in verse 16, now the five kings. This is five kings against one people. The odds are stacked. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in a cave at Makedah. 
These five kings who, who should have been able to handle themselves are hiding in a cave. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. It says, now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Machadah. When Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave at Machadah, he said, roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. It sounds like the Easter story, but it's not the Easter story. But trust me, hang on, we are going to in fact see Jesus. But don't stop, pursue your enemies, attack them from the rear, and don't let them reach their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hands. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely. But a few survivors managed to reach their fortified cities. The whole army then returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Machadah, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. And Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, and the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with them, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. Words that we had continued to hear directed to him from God about him. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, be strong and courageous, do not be discouraged. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. This is what the Lord is going to do to all the enemies that you're going to fight. These five kings, these five disasters, this big problem, that big problem, my big problem, your big problem. This is what the Lord is going to do to all people's problems. Put your foot on the neck of it. And Joshua put the kings to death and did a whole bunch of other not G-rated stuff. And Lord of the Rings just got... um, right there before us, because it was a big battle that you can continue reading about. God is in control, and God is for his people. No no matter how big the enemy seems, five kings against one, no matter how big your problem is, because these five kings are hiding. They're, They're crouching against the people of God. So this God that we serve He's bigger than COVID. He's, he's bigger than our messed up whatever line you look at response to it. He's, he's bigger than this election. He's bigger than everything. Like, he's, it, like it's, it's not over yet. He's bigger than all of that stuff. He's bigger than any addiction. He's bigger than any temptation. He's bigger than divorce. He's bigger than death. He's bigger than grief. He's bigger than loss. He's bigger than fear. He's bigger than pain. He's bigger than diagnosis. He's bigger than Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee. I mean, the Lord is big. That's just the battle I've been up against this week. So I I threw it in there just as a, whatever you're facing, the Lord's Lord's bigger than that. He is bigger than any battle, any enemy. And we have to throw this in there, no matter how many times we ignore him. Man, Nick, why'd you have to say that? Because we do. We ignore him. Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Riggins, did you ask your mom if you could drink that cherry Coke? (laughs) You sampled the provisions, but you didn't inquire of the Lord. We do that. Take matters into our own hands. Think that we've got the battle, that we've got what it takes, that we can figure it out on our own. We, we, We do that. 
no matter how many times we ignore him, God is bigger. He's in control. And no matter how many times we ignore him, he's still for us. He's still for his people. He's still for that good outcome. God does, in spite of the fact that he's for us, according to this passage of scripture and according to the total of the canon of scripture, he does require us to break the neck of sin in our lives. He does require us to break the neck of sin in our lives. Tzavir is the Hebrew word for neck in this passage. And it's interesting because it comes from a root word that means to bind, to besiege, to confine. And if you want a definition of what sin is in this world, it wants to confine you, besiege you, control you, bind you, overtake you. And we have to break the neck, break the yoke of anything that would seek to enslave us, of anything that would seek to confine us, of anything that would seek to distract us from the plan that God has for us, that God requires us to break the neck of sin in our lives. And yet in this wake, in the middle of what that requirement says to turn away from that sin, to turn away from that disaster, to repent and to be made right, in the middle of all that, he ultimately shows us Jesus. God said to Cain in the middle of the situation after he killed his brother, yeah, sin is crouching at your door, but it cannot have you. You must rule over it. He said to the enemy in the garden when sin was first introduced and the serpent came and tempted Eve and Adam and they ate of the forbidden fruit. In that moment, in that garden, he looked at the serpent. He said, you're cursed. And one day the offspring of this woman is going to come and he's going to crush you with his foot and you're going to bite at his heel. Like the Lord himself is the one who is ultimately going to break the neck of sin in our lives. The beauty of this story is that while we are required to break the neck and break the yoke of sin in our lives, it's ultimately the Lord who does the work. He sends the confusion. He sends the hail. He made the promise. He accomplishes the work. And ultimately, it was him that was going to eventually send Jesus so that in Romans 6, 14, these words could be true. Sin will have no dominion over God's people. No dominion over God's people. It says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. So when we talk about breaking the neck of sin in our life, when we talk about breaking the yoke of slavery in our life, Jesus Christ himself does that work. Romans 16, 20 says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The driving force behind Israel's military conquest in Canaan was to eliminate worldly kings, but to eliminate worldly, fleshy, sinful desires that were present in the land. Those kings and their sins would have no dominion over God's people. Feet to neck foreshadowed Jesus Christ coming to eradicate sin from our lives, to crush our enemy underfoot once and for all. This is story. This this historical event shows us that God's in control and and that God is for his people. No matter how big our enemy is, no matter how many times we ignore him, he does require that we break the neck of sin in our lives. And in the middle of that wake shows us Jesus and reminds us, purposes in us to work and to wait and to ultimately trust. To wait, to be patient, to do the work. Son, stand still. I spent some time in Matthew this week just kind of comparing and contrasting these passages of the, of the sun literally standing still, of the sun in the sky 
moving to a position of permanence and stopping for a day and the actual son of God waiting before he comes back because I, maybe 2020's just brought it out. I mean, maybe it's because I'm getting older in life, but I've been one of those believers that said, oh Lord Jesus, we just need you to come. I've looked at the world and the circumstances that we're facing and the challenges that we're up against collectively and also just me personally. It's a whiny moment, I get it. But I've looked at the Lord and said, hey, please, just, just things would get so much better. It would really be to your ultimate good and benefit if you would just go ahead and come back. Maranatha, come, Lord, quickly. And I know believers are out there shouting it because I see it on your Facebook feeds. Lord, come quickly. (laughs) Matthew 24, 14 says something different. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. If you want to pinpoint when the end is going to actually come, and by end I mean the return of Jesus Christ, what it says is that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so I'm switching my prayer life up, and you guys can hold me accountable to it. It's no longer Maranatha, Lord, come. It's sun stand still so that more people can taste. It's, it's, it's wait. It, it, we need more people to taste. We, we need more people to know. We, we need more people to hear. Y'all can ask me who I voted for. It's never going to make it into a sermon. It's more of a private conversation than it is a teaching illustration. But there's probably a big old laundry list of reasons for any of us on any sort of spectrum. But none of those reasons matter more than the one that says my main goal is to trust God's work and to act like Jesus. Here's the deal, church. We want to be the Israelites in the story. We do. We want to be the Israelites in the story. We want to be the promised, victorious people of God. The problem is we're dressed up like deceptive Gibeonites. Playing the victim. Dispensing stale bread to the world and passing it off as good news. There's an unbelieving world next door to us. And there's a brand new generation coming up behind us. They can smell stale bread. They know when the wine is bitter. So yes, Lord Jesus, come. But wait. Because we need more people to taste. We need more people to know. Whenever it takes more time, we can still know and trust that God is on time and that accomplishing his purpose in the right time will finish strong what he started. Philippians 1 says that we are confident in this. I need a dose of confidence. We are confident in this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in faith. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He might as well have just said, and this gospel uh, of the kingdom of God, the good news, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony, and then the end will come. We want to know about the day of Christ Jesus then we need to be about preaching the gospel kingdom, good news to the world as a testimony for all nations so that the end will come. If it takes more time, we can rest certain that God is on time and that in the right time, he'll send Jesus, but it won't be until after time stops and allows more people to taste and to know that Jesus is good. 
we've been in this whole for the kingdom mode for two years now, going on three, and we'll, we're, we're aiming to finish strong over the next 12 months. And I'll tell you, I think this room looks beautiful. I, I think it's, um, I, I like so much the things that have been done, and I know the things that are coming as more funds are released and we're able to do different things. And regardless of that, like, I, I think the room turned out great, but that's still empty. We need, we need more time. If you haven't taken a tour, like, take, go walk through the kids' halls, the preschool area and the elementary school space. It looks amazing, but there's still rooms that we haven't opened and, and little spaces that we haven't filled. We need more time. Sun stand still. Give us a chance to, so that more people can taste. Last week, we previewed the fact that there are 70 kids in the southern region of Moldova that need a sponsorship so that we can one day put a transitional living home in that community and know about the kids who live there and literally change the course of history for a more, an orphan boy or an orphan girl in Moldova. And as of this morning, 18 have been sponsored. We need 52 more. Sun stand still because we need more people to taste. There's one little kid named Vasil. He's not a little kid. He's like a young adult. And we want to put him in a transitional living home, put him in a residency program. By Friday of this week, he needs a share of sponsors who will make it possible with a monthly donation to make this kid have a brand new life and change the course of history for everything that comes after him. Like I'm on fire about the fact that, hey, this kid, he needs a new course. Sun stands still. We've got work to do. More people need to taste. And I'm asking myself over and over and over again, this bold prayer that Joshua prayed, that the Lord might listen, that the Lord might hear, that the Lord might relent, that the sun might stand still so that the work could be accomplished. Maybe he prayed that prayer because he knew that God could do it. Maybe I don't pray that prayer because I wonder if God will. And so we want to be a people who will pray those bold prayers because we believe in a very big God. That's why we do this whole for the kingdom thing. Because we believe that God is about the work of spreading his good news in all the kingdoms so that all nations will have it as a testimony before the end will come. And I know, I know this. I know this. That I'm not worried about for the kingdom. I'm not worried about this property. I'm not worried about this campus of Rolling Hills Community Church. I'm not worried about the 52 orphans in Moldova that still need a sponsorship. And I know we're going to find it this week, maybe even today. I'm ultimately not worried about Vasil. And I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about our country. I'm not worried about this disease and this illness. I'm not worried about the winter months and the fact that I'm going to stay home because I'm afraid of the flu and y'all be coughing. I'm not worried about all those things. You want to know why? Because God's in control. God is for the good of his people, and we will get there, but we got to drink up. And when we do, oh, it's good. It's good. To the people in the room who, who, who know and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have tasted, and now you can't help but radically obey and commit your life to this. For the people in the room who, who have not yet tasted, please keep coming. Because our desire is for nothing more than for you to see and to experience and to taste that God is good. And what we know is that when you do, oh, Pastor Nick, that's good. I never had that before, but now that I have, I'm going to ask my mom if I can have it again. <laughs> 
That's what we know about Jesus. And that's what we want the nations, even these nations, to know. God is good. God is for us. And yeah, we're going to have to break the neck of sin in our lives. But it's ultimately Jesus who does that work. And once we taste him, we'll never want anything else. Church, we can't give out stale bread when we've got the bread of life. There's an unbelieving world and a next generation who is looking at how we respond to this day and every day. They are looking at how we respond to this word and every word in our world. They don't want the stale bread. They want the real promise. Radical obedience gives it to them. And so we will be a people who understand that the most powerful and painful acts of radical obedience, starting with remorse and regret and stepping on the neck of our sin, they come from an awakened taste of the goodness of God and the pleasure of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that Jesus is so good. Thank you, Father, that we can trust him. Thank you, Father, that you gave us a gift in your son that would ultimately crush the sin and the slavery and the disaster and the devastation that we experience, not only for eternity without you, but even in our day and age from a misunderstanding of you. God, we want nothing more than to be a people who taste and see, but then go out and share. May we be a people who, by your grace, understand what it's like to have more of you in our lives and to share more of you with others. So make us different. Make us bold. Make us proud. Make us victorious. Help us to understand the difference between your good and our good. And go that route. And know that God. And know the peace that comes with it. And then to share it with others. Father, we do desire that your gospel would be preached as a testimony to all nations. That the good news of your kingdom would be preached as a testimony to all nations so that the end would come. And so, sun stand still until that time in which we can finish the work. And by the power, oh goodness, by the power of Jesus and the pain that he endured, and by the power of your people and the pain that we might endure. Father, bring it, because ultimately we want to bring you wherever we go. It's in the holy and perfect name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to learn more about what's going on here in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and stay up to date on everything that's happening and ways for you to connect. Thanks for listening. We are thankful for you.